In a world where people like to watch movies, one group of friends will go on an epic journey to watch these movies. It's the Flick Fiends Podcast with Uncle Joe, Big Joe, and Jared. Now it's time to listen to the Fiends. Welcome back, guys. So, I am excited to discuss movies with you this week. But I need some help with what we're going to discuss. So, Uncle Joe, you told me we are going to talk about uh, Choker, the story of a jewelry magnate that comes up with a new style of necklace. No, man, that's not what we're talking about. Okay, let me see. Was it Ochre? Was it a docudrama about the creation of a new type of paint? No, it's not that either. Uh, okay. Is it Poker? A drama about uh, people who play high-stakes card games? Maybe. Well, I, I'm obviously wrong, so tell me what we're talking about this week. We're going to be talking about Joker. Oh! Okay. Starring... Joaquin Phoenix. All right. Jared, I take it you saw this as well? Yeah, I did. Uh, I Actually, I went and I saw it with Uncle Joe. I did not get a chance to see it, so I will obviously have more questions and you will have answers. So tell me, how did y'all like it? It was okay. I thought it was pretty good. I enjoyed it. Though it could have been better. That's my overall summary i think the critics are dumping on it harsher than it deserves but i also think that it's getting a lot more praise than it really needs it was a good solid movie that had nothing to do with dc pretty much fair enough yeah and and that would be a large part of my criticism tell me this does joaquin phoenix become the joker yeah, pretty much. He becomes the Joker. All right. Is this film set in the modern day? Do we have, like, cell phones and iPods and flat-screen TVs? It feels to me like it was late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, I kept getting the sense it was, like, early 90s because of the car styles and overall the... um aesthetic of the movie okay so it felt like something in new york city or well it's gotham city but well they call it gotham but it looks like it's new york city pretty much yeah it doesn't have the normal gotham aesthetics well that's that's fine and we'll come back to that later yeah sounds like there's a little bit to to give detail on there I'll also say, if you're looking for an action movie or a DC movie, this is not the film for you. This is a character-driven drama. It's almost like an art film, I would say. And it's about a man who's faced a lot of abuse in his life, who reaches his breaking point, and then follows what happens once he reaches that point. 
Yeah, I've heard it compared, people are wanting to compare it to Taxi Driver, and you actually, I think one of you told me that Robert De Niro is actually in this movie. He is. He's got at least three scenes. Right. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Was there anything that stood out about uh, Joaquin Phoenix's performance? Well, he lost a hell of a lot of weight for the role. I mean, to me, it kind of harkens back to Christian Bale and the machinist almost. Like, um, how much dangerously low in weight he looked like. Yeah, he got a little thin for this. And he does some uncomfortable shirtless dancing at several different points throughout the film. Reminds me a lot of uh, Silence of the Lambs, which I'm sure it took inspiration from in that. Oh, okay. Yeah. That actor was also fairly thin. All right. Well, the movie came out, and the connection to the wider DC universe is... You said it doesn't connect very much to it? It doesn't. It feels like they just slapped it together. I'll tell you one thing. They went with a different name for the Joker than what has been used in the past. There is no official name that's recognized as a canon name for the Joker, but the unofficial official name has been around since uh, 1989. Isn't that when uh, Tim Burton's Batman came out? Yeah, I think there's two there's two kind of sources on that. There there's been the idea that Joe Chill was actually the Joker. That was from the 1989 Batman film. But in the comics, I think the well, in Tim Burton's Batman, they called him Jack Napier. Jack Napier. Okay, yes. yeah. And that is the name that they still use a lot in comics to this day. Okay, I was getting the fact that he replaced Joe Chill as his parents' killer in the movie with the fact that they had given him that name. But yeah, Jack Napier is what uh, I I believe came out of The Killing Joke as well. But yeah, that's one name that he's had. It's the most used name that he's had, but like I said, there is no officially recognized name. But if you're going to tie your film to DC, that would be a good choice, as opposed to just some random name that they used for this movie. I guess if we're going to delve into things where it departs from DC, we should set up kind of the background a little bit. The Joker, as a character, has been in the Batman stories since the 1940s. Yeah, so he's a longtime villain. But for a long time, I don't think they actually gave him a name or a backstory. They didn't really need to, because a lot of villains didn't get backstories in the 40s and 50s. There was less of an emphasis on that, because the the nature of those comics was a little bit more like our newspaper comics today. They weren't trying to tell, you know, season or years-long plot threads it was more of a monster of the week or villain of the week yeah everything was wrapped up by the end yeah so then in the 1960s you got the batman television series 
and you've got a version of the Joker that was played by uh, Cesar Romero. And that was very much fitting within the campy nature of that show. But that kind of influenced things too, like influencing the clown aspects of the of the character. But then uh, I think it was in the late 70s and early 80s that uh, Neil Adams got on to writing Batman and he kind of took the Joker in the direction that we've seen him developed in ever since, which is that he's a psychopath that's latched on to the imagery of being a clown as his calling card for the mayhem that he creates. And he's set up as Batman's direct foil in a lot of ways. Because Batman has smart villains that he has to outsmart, but the Joker is is a effective villain for Batman because he's unpredictable. A lot of the enjoyment we get out of a Batman comic featuring the Joker is Batman trying to figure out what the Joker's going to do next. So, did Joaquin Phoenix descend into unpredictability? A little bit. Yeah, a little teeny bit. I'd say he did a pretty decent job as a representation of him. I mean, of course, he's no Heath Ledger or anything. Well, I won't say temporary expectations, but Heath Ledger was playing a Joker with a Batman to play off of. Very true. This one didn't really get anything like that except for a very brief scene, and that wasn't the whole focus of the movie anyway. It was more focused on him. Yeah, and he doesn't really make that transformation until a little over halfway through the movie. Okay. Well, let's discuss the events of the movie. We may as well move into spoiler territory now. So one of the big things in this movie is he lives with his mother, and he finds out from his mother... His mother claims that he is the son of Thomas Wayne. Oh, okay. I was going to say that. that's a different tack to take. So the Waynes are dead and... No, they're not dead in this movie, at least not until the very end. Okay. His mother, you find out over the course of the movie, is delusional. Mm-hmm. She's been institutionalized before, and you also find out that he himself has also been institutionalized before. The beginning of the movie, he's uh, it opens with him in an office talking to a counselor who isn't really listening to him. Yeah, and you know he's asking about upping his medications because they don't seem to be working. He's on like five of them. Wow. Okay, so they they went with that. You know, he's not getting the help he needs apparently. No, and he loses his job. And it's just one bad thing after another for him. And he eventually finds out that he is not the son of Thomas Wayne, that his mother made it up. Yeah. And she was pretty insane as well. Yeah. That seems like something that would be hard to, you know, that's the that's the problem with dealing with delusional people is that they, you can try to work and work with them on breaking out of the delusion, but it takes a lot of time. 
it's not necessarily, you know, the delusion comes from either not understanding a certain aspect of something and then your mind fills in certain details and that's what you're operating off of, or you just ignore anything that doesn't fit the facts that you've chosen to believe. And actually, you see that with dementia patients a good bit, too, just there. Their mental process has broken down to the point where they they believe certain things that they don't necessarily have the best evidence for. To add on to that, there's a subplot in the movie of this girl that he kind of likes. And they end up spending some time together. She uh, ends up comforting him and having conversations with him. Mm-hmm. And you find out later in the movie that's actually all just in his head. Oh, no. Wow. Yeah, it. I mean, it really felt like it was coming from a long mile away, but like I kind of saw it happening. But at the same time, it was still somewhat satisfying when I saw the reveal. So, is it at a certain point he becomes aware that it's a hallucination, or is that just revealed to the audience and he still believes it's real? I think he's aware of it. Okay. It's one thing to bring up. Uh, they make Thomas Wayne seem like a complete asshole in this movie. Oh, wow. Which is completely different from how he's usually portrayed. Yeah. He's usually a very kind-hearted person. Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, in every other depiction we have, the Waynes are like the bedrock of philanthropy in Gotham. There's a greater theme throughout the movie of, like, the city's breaking down, basically, like that everything's riots are starting to happen, and there's a huge divide between the haves and have nots too, and um yeah, that they play on that with uh Thomas Wayne quite a bit, so huh, they have him come off as like another corrupt rich guy, pretty much, and for some reason, both. The guy who plays Thomas Wayne and Martha are really old for having an 8 to 10 year old son. Yeah, it looks so jarring. They look like they're in their like late 50s, early 60s. Yeah, it was really weird. It was really weird. Also weird age discrepancy is the fact that Joaquin uh, Phoenix's character is in his mid-30s at this point. So by the time... Bruce Wayne reaches a point where he can become Batman, the Joker will basically be 50. Yeah. Yeah. That's just, it's a little off. It's a little off. I'm starting to see what you mean about loosely connecting. Like, this idea of, of this character and how he developed, but in order to do it in their timeline, it has to throw off everything else. Yeah. I think the only other thing that really stood out is uh, Arkham looks like a standard mental institution with regular patients as opposed to mm-hmm. what you normally see in the comics. Well, that's because Batman isn't there yet to draw in all the real crazies. There's no Jim Gordon or anything like no. that. Again, too early. Well, he was a cop back then. They could have a cameo. Yeah. Oh, uh, I was going to ask, does he does he start to become a criminal, or is it more about 
the fact that he has a breakdown and his personality changes after that. Okay, that's a that's a good point. So there's an incident where he's on a train earlier, and uh, another thing about his character, uh, whenever he gets stressed or nervous, he has this laugh that's involuntary mm. that just comes out, and it manages to get him a lot of unwanted attention and uh, some bad reactions. Yeah. So that's another thing that he's dealing with. And one of those times happens to be on uh, a subway car, and these uh, drunk guys start harassing someone. And he starts his laugh, and they start laying into him, start beating him up. Someone had given him a gun at some point, and he ends up shooting all three of them. Oh, wow. First two, I, I think you could argue your self-defense, but the last one was just full-on murder because he was running away and he just empties the rest of the bullets into the guy. Especially if Gotham is anything like how New York City views gun violence. You've definitely got a space in there where it's it's acceptable to use it and then where it's not. That's definitely not. <laughs> He was in his clown makeup when he did that, and that actually starts off all the protests that happen throughout the movie from that point on uh, against the rich and against the corruption. They view that, what he did, a lot of the people, they view that uh, as something heroic, seeing as a symbol. That kind of culminates at the end, too. Yeah. So as things get progressively worse, he gets a lot more comfortable with that aspect of himself taking violence a step further than necessary. Yeah, he becomes a lot more comfortable with that. Well, that's not disturbing at all. So, uh, without giving too much away, he commits uh, a couple more murders. The police get wise to him, but by the time they catch up to him, he's part of the big protest crowd, and they can't get to him. Wow. He ends up being like a rallying symbol for them, pretty much, against the establishment. Yeah, there was, because uh, Taxi Driver kind of had had this as an inspiration, too, and I really need to look it up before I go into too much detail, or, or rather, we'll, I'm not going to give a lot of detail because I'm not sure about it. But there was an incident like that in the 1970s in New York where a guy on a subway was armed. He was harassed by somebody on the subway, and he shot the man. He shot his harasser, and it became a focal point for discussion about crime in New York during that time because there was a lot of arguments about, well, what he did was self-defense, and the other people would argue that based on how the events unfolded, based on eyewitness accounts, that what he did was unprovoked or didn't warrant the response that he gave it. And I believe it was a similar incident of, you know, he shot the guy once and that would have been enough for self-defense, but then he shot the guy that was the person who was armed, shot his harasser several more times. And that's where the whole discussion comes up. And I believe that sort of inspired Taxi Driver as well. So they're all hitting on some of the same 
uh, inspirations. I'm going to find the actual case and just get some details on it. And maybe we'll bring it up in another, like a follow-up of a, for an episode or something, but it might take me too long, more than what we've time we've got while recording to, uh, to get those details. But all these inspirations come from a real source. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, I got a lot of sense of that from this movie just in general. Yeah. Cause New York in the seventies and eighties, they did have a crime problem. That's part of the reason why a lot of the depictions of New York during that time show the crime that they do is because it was considered a, a problem. You know, they had a higher average murder rate for what they should have had given their population. And there was a lot of, a lot of visible poverty in the city. It was definitely a time when those things were out and were able to be seen and were subject to big, big concern for everybody that lived there. It sounds like they are playing on that with this movie, too. So the riots, do they happen at the very end, or is it... I'd say like nine-tenths through the movie, they yeah, start. Yeah, near the end. There are protests before that point, but the violence all happens towards the end of the film. So once the riots have gotten into full swing with all the rioters wearing their uh, clown masks... One of the rioters goes down the alley and runs into Thomas and Martha Wayne and ends up killing them. So in this interpretation of the Joker's origin, the Joker is actually indirectly involved in the creation of Batman. Yes. Wow. Okay. I guess... The last thing I want to ask is not really about the plot, but just uh, do you think you'll get this whenever it comes out on home media formats or watch it again when it comes on streaming? I'd definitely give it another watch over on uh, streaming, for sure. I enjoyed the movie enough to where I'd do something like that. I probably wouldn't buy it outright. I didn't like it that much, but I did enjoy it. I'd probably watch it again just to see if I missed anything, which is quite possible. There's a lot to unpack in this movie. I don't see myself wanting to own it. Yeah, it sounds like it was interesting enough to see if there's more you could get out of it, but not enough to where you you think you're going to watch it several more times after that. I think we talked about this a little bit earlier, but... uh... This is usually the type of film critics go crazy for, and it seems like it's the other way around this time. The audience is the one uh, that's praising it. Yeah, and I I have a really basic opinion about it. I don't have a whole lot of involved reasoning behind this, but I think for critics at least, it has to do with the fact that there's just certain movies that don't, spark critical interest or there's a lot of you know plot developments that don't work for critics so they end up panning movies that have a lot of those elements well the interesting thing is when this movie debuted at the venice film festival it received a lot of critical praise it won the golden lion but once it started to trickle over here 
that's when the negative reviews started. Yeah, and that may be a difference between the cinema, you know, the, I guess the, you know, film festival type critic and like a general movie going cineplex critic. Not to say that there's really any difference, but critics that would be at a showing at a film festival may have a different mindset than ones that are going to see something that's in wide release. I think you end up seeing, uh, you end up seeing that when something like this gets praised at a film festival, but then when it hits wide release, it gets a different reaction. I'd be curious to know how often that happens. Yeah, it, it would take some research. A lot of it, I think, is that some critics are willing to give unusual things a chance more often, and some are not. And I'd have to, you know, if you want to see what their biases are, you really have to pay attention to what what they do with certain movies. And also, you'd have to watch the movies yourselves. to. And thus, going back to watching the thing yourself to form your own opinion about it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I can't, I can't really form my own opinion on it, because I haven't seen it. But I'll probably wait for it to come on streaming, because I'm... I wasn't all that interested in seeing it in in the in on the big screen in the first place. It'll be interesting to see which platform it ends up streaming on, <laughs> since DC has its <laughs> own streaming service, albeit one apparently a lot of people don't know about. Yeah, which I've been planning to sign up for that because apparently some of their TV shows are really good. Like Doom Patrol gets a lot of a lot of praise so does titans um, one of the guys from doom patrol was at dragon con and he lamented the fact that doom patrol was languishing on there because it wasn't getting picked up and it was such a fantastic show i want to watch it before they do anything with it i'm probably gonna sign up for dc universe this week or next week just depends on when i get around to it but yeah, I want to watch that. I want to watch through Titans. I want to watch through the seasons of Young Justice. I want to watch through Swamp Thing. Swamp Thing is a personal favorite hero just from some of the stuff they did with him back in the 70s and 80s. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. You never know. A lot of the DC animated movies show up on Amazon Prime, but... That's not a really good indication of where a live action movie would end up. True. It just depends on the rights and what Warner Brothers decides to do. I think that's probably a good uh, wrapping point. Yes, I do too. If you'd like to message us with any comments or suggestions, you can email us at flickbeans at gmail.com love to hear from you.